So if you don't mind joining me in reading, we're going to be in the first eight verses in chapter one. So if you want to follow along with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I just am grateful today, Lord, just grateful for how, God, you have uniquely brought each of us here today. And God, we are all on a different journey. Lord, we are all in different places in our walk, in different places, Lord, in our faith. Some of us, Lord, here are, are wavering. Some of us here are barely hanging on. Some of us, Lord, are probably on a mountaintop experience. And Lord, I just pray that every need will be met tonight. Lord, that as we see here, Lord, the report that's given about this church, the testimony of this church, Lord, that we could walk away, Lord, from tonight with a desire to have that testimony for our lives. And so, God, I just pray that you would minister to the needs that are in this room, those watching online, our loved ones. And God, we just ask that you would, you would meet us here, that we would have a moment of confrontation with you. And sometimes when you confront us, Lord, it's good. It is good, God. And it's especially good when you do it. So we love you, God. And we invite you into this time. We do invite the Holy Spirit into this time. The Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and our minds that we would understand. And Lord, that you would reveal things that aren't even said tonight. That you would speak to us, God. So we love you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So since Pastor Derek gave me the opportunity to just play Bible Rule 8 with you guys and just choose where I wanted to go, I wanted to start in the beginning of the book of Colossians. And with that, I wanted to give you guys some, some background as to what's going on in the book of Colossians. We've been in in a mode with the book of Joshua, so you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna do a disservice to you guys and just kinda like, hey, we're just teleported to a completely different time uh, in the Bible. Um, so, I'm just gonna give you some background to help you guys out. So the book of Colossians uh, seems to have been written with two purposes in mind. The first is to encourage and to ground 
this relatively new Christian community and to protect them from false teachers. Some fun facts for you guys about the book of Colossians is that they were, again, a fairly new church, um, and they were already experiencing heresy, which is false teaching, um, and there was actually something called the Colossian heresy, um, and this is hard to kind of pinpoint, but in chapter two, it basically kind of lays out these different points, and you can easily read through chapter two and not even realize what's happening, but there's really kind of like the chapter where really it like uh, kind of like shows us the heresy, the false teaching um, that's happening um, around surrounding this church. Um, but we have to get some background in order to understand what's going on and what Paul's addressing. So Colossae is the location, and it's located in modern-day Turkey. Um, now, looking from our perspective into the Colossians, uh, we may be thinking, you know, if the, one of the purposes that I just said was uh, to encourage and to ground this relatively new church community, we could be thinking, um, how could they have been led astray so soon? Like, they just received the word, they are a new community, how can they already be departing? Like, where's that, that initial fire that if you all experienced at one point or another, this, that first fire when you become born again and you start following Christ, you start volunteering, you start getting involved at church, and then there's this moment where you just feel like there's like everything doesn't matter except this new thing I have in Christ. But now we're seeing this relatively new church community that just is starting to drift so soon. Well, this can happen to anyone. This can happen to any church. We're all susceptible to being led astray, to drift, to compromise, to allow some things from our, from our past to just creep in all over again. Amen? No? Maybe I'm the, the only one? I'll, I wasn't, I'll, go, I'll share, I'll share this. <laughs> you, you saw a little squirrel. <laughs> um, so for me, the day I got saved, actually, um, uh, I was like totally on fire. Like I was like, whoo whoa, something just happened. Like, I was just like, something clicked in me. But then I went and I hung out with some friends that was already scheduled for me to hang out with them, and I did drugs that night. And I was like, and I didn't get high. Like, I didn't get high because something happened. I couldn't get high. But I went and I was like, I just got saved, and boom. I just fell into, like, a trap right away within an hour of being saved. And I was just like, you know, as I was preparing for this, I, it reminded me of that, like how quick this church can sway. And so that's when I say that to you and say amen, it's like, because I'm right there with them and I'm hopefully with you if we're being honest, you know? Like we have moments where we fall and we slip and we make mistakes. So let's be compassionate to the church of Colossae, um, you know? So anyways, that was totally something I was not gonna share, but I shared anyway, so there you go. A little extra for you two guys tonight. So, um, <laughs> so this book really speaks about the preeminence of Jesus. Or in other words, the book speaks about how Jesus should be first in our lives. First rank, the first position. First above our family, 
First above our spouse. Yes, first above our spouse. Yes, first above our spouse. Husbands, wives. Um, first above our kids. First above our jobs. That's really what this book is. It really gets down to the preeminence, the, su- the supremacy of Christ's position in our lives. So, um, you know, so if Jesus is preeminent in our lives, then we wouldn't be so easily led astray. It's easier said than done. It's easy to say it, especially from this spot, that if Jesus is primary in your life, how could you drift away? But it's possible. And we, being sinners, I don't need to convince you or explain to you how that's possible. You're creative because you're little sinners and you know how that happens. So I don't need to prove that to you. You know it like how I know it. But this church went through what the whole church, the big C, not Awaken, not other churches in Las Vegas, the whole church is going through today. Christians are compromising. Churches are becoming tolerant of sin or claiming that there isn't just one way to heaven. These little lies, these little compromises, and it's creeping in to the church. It's creeping into our lives. It's crept into maybe our life, and we have not even noticed that it creeped into our life. Christians are drifting away from the Bible and not believing that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's debate if that's even possible, if that's really true. There are Christians sitting in church today with no real understanding of what the Bible says and what it teaches. We are living in dangerous times, and sadly, the church is getting their information, their doctrine, their teaching, their positions, if you would, from, the music, from music, TV, internet, social media, TikTok videos, Instagram, whatever, Facebook. I see a whole lot of stuff on Facebook. Like, I can't even go on Facebook anymore because it's just filled with just craziness. The news. Some, some people elevate what the news says as like just as important as what the Bible says. I'm not negating what's, like, what's happening in the world. We have to pay attention to what's happening in the world. I'm not saying bury your head in the sand, but I'm saying that people frameworks, especially Christians, our framework is shaped around these other things. And again, if we're talking about what this book is addressing is the preeminence of Christ. So we as Christians, not the church, need to be pulling our information from what? The word of God. You guys know this? And not from who? The world, from man. Now what am I saying? We are an era of spiritual weakness and living in an era where the church is not truly submitted to the Bible. 
So let's get into the study and talk about the testimony of our faith. In verse 1 to 2, we're going to see, um, it says, just as a recap, verse 1 to 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. No question, who wrote this letter? Paul, this is Dig Deeper. This is the Dig Deeper study. Did you guys realize that you guys are at Dig Deeper? <laughs> so, what does that mean? We're going to be like digging deeper. Hey! I don't know what's wrong with me today. I'm like... <laughs> uh, so, Paul was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee. He was a zealot. The Bible teaches that Paul believed that God had called him. So we're talking about here, we talked about heresy moments ago. But he believes that God called him to end a heresy known as the way. What is the way? Us, Christianity. So he believed he was doing God's work by ending this false teaching. See how we easily we can be led astray, false doctrine? He was deceived. And so we see in Acts that Saul, not Paul yet, was present when Stephen was stoned to death. Later on in Acts, uh, we see in the Bible that Paul was on his way to capture some other Christians, and on his way, what happened? You guys know. Carmen said, boom, what happened? <laughs> what happened? He encountered Jesus. What are we, what's our series on Sundays? Hey. And Jesus asks him why he was persecuting Jesus' people. Imagine being confronted by Jesus, and he's telling you, why are you doing this to my people? And he's like, what? What are you talking about? I'm doing this for you. He got, Paul had an encounter with Jesus. Paul, Saul, had this radical encounter with Jesus. And then Jesus starts using him as Paul. The church didn't believe what happened in his life. They were scared. They're like, wait, are we really going to let this guy in? to our church, to our circle, to the way, to our family. Like, we know who he is, right? This guy was killing and murdering us, and we're okay with this right now? I mean, imagine, imagine allowing a murderer in your home, knowing what he's done, and, and being stuck in this place is like, do I... Do I let this person into my life? Like, do I really, is what I believe, do I really believe it? Do I really claim the faith that I have to be able to see this person through a new lens? So they doubted that he was even saved because they knew of his past. Don't put someone 
and your mind out of God's power to be saved. God has the power to save anyone in his own way. So if there's anyone in your mind right now, as I said that, and they're like, he would never, never save that person. No way. They are so far. They're disillusioned by their sin. They love their sin. They parade their sin on social media. They flaunt it. There's no way. Don't limit God. Don't limit him. That's probably the person you should probably be praying for most because that's the person that God wants to do a work in in our lives. And, he's, and you are the channel that God wants to use to send his love through. So this is a letter from Paul written from a jail in Rome to Epaphras. Epaphras is the pastor of this church. Um, and, but what's interesting, Paul never visited this church, according to Colossians 2.1. But something that we don't see from Paul in this letter is grumbling and complaining about his situation. He's speaking joyfully about what's happening in the lives of other believers while he's locked up in jail. Just something to point out to you. Paul had every right, as he wrote this letter, to advocate for himself, but instead he takes the time to help this struggling church. Verse 2, we see it says, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. When we read saints, we're not talking about an elite group among Christians. Sometimes we see levels of Christians. Sometimes we see there's us, me, I just attend church. And then there's the volunteers. Ooh. They, they got something special. They got the special communion. And then there's the staff. It's like, whoa, whoa. You got to be on another level. You got to be like Bible college level to be able to work at a church. And then there's the pastors. You're like, whoa, watch out now. They're on a different level. We're all sinners. We all fall short. We all have to wrestle with our flesh. We all have this, these issues that we go through daily. And me teaching here versus someone who's in our facilities department or serving in youth or uh, serving at LB Reach, or doing anything else, serving in the video room, which that no one sees, that they are less or more important than the person that's standing on this stage. And that's not true. There is no elite Christians. So, so if you have that maybe framework, unintentionally, you're just there, you're like, yeah, like that's on a different level. No, we're the same. Some people really think that, no, I need prayer from the pastors. Only the pastors can pray for me because their access to God, they got the red phone. They know God's line. No, that's not true at all. I've heard beautiful prayers, beautiful, meaningful prayers 
from just someone in the church. I'm not saying pastors don't got good prayers. I'm not saying that. I'm not downing the pastors. What I'm saying is that your relationship with Christ is all dependent upon you and the access that you have with Christ is all dependent upon how, how much you allow God to come into your life. So we're going to do an exercise. It's not exercise. We're going to do an activity, okay? Take it easy. Okay. We're going to, um, on the count of three, we're going to say our name with Saint in front of it. For example, Saint Josh, Saint Joshua. I know, it sounds weird, right? But we're going to do an exercise, okay? On the count of three, you're going to say Saint and your name, okay? On the, don't, don't be shy. This is Dig Deeper. It's interactive. This isn't Sunday. We can do this on Thursday nights. So on the count of three, we're going to say Saint and our name loudly, proudly, okay? All right, one, two, three. Y'all crazy. <laughs> uh, sounds weird, right? If we're being honest, it's like, that's, that's a little weird, right? But the reality is that you are a saint. And what it means is that you're set apart. That's really what it means, that you're set apart. It's been said that there's two categories. Ah! You're either a saint or you're an ain't, and the front row, they're just on it. But really, it's funny. But what it's saying is either you're a believer or you're not. There is no in-between. There, no, there is no, I'm kind of there. Well, I go to church, so does that qualify? Either you are or you aren't. It's black or white. There is no in-between. Sometimes there's people that live in the gray in their life. And you know, yeah, maybe there's, it's true that there is some gray in life. But when it comes to salvation, you are, you aren't. You're a saint or you ain't, you're a believer or you're not, you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. Simple as that. In verse three to five, we're moving on. It says, I'll reread. Verse three to five, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. In verses, so here in verse three to five, we can say, Paul was thankful because of the Colossians' testimony. Epaphras came to Paul while he was in prison, and Epaphras gave a report of what good things were happening in the Colossian church and the surrounding area around the Colossian church. He was telling Paul that the community of believers, as we see in these verses, were filled with faith, with love, and with hope. Hearing and knowing these great things 
is encouraging for Paul to hear. Paul was moved to prayer and thanksgiving when he heard the good things happening in that church. It would be like Billy Graham writing to us and telling us, I'm praying for you awake in Las Vegas. I hear the good things happening. I hear the faith and the hope and the love that you demonstrate to one another. It's hearing from a, a, a father in the faith telling us that he's, that he's happy to hear that. Paul was thankful for a few things. First is that they had a testimony of their faith. And we see in verses 4, the testimony of their faith that they, ha they had faith, they had love, and in verse 5, they had hope. Paul knew that this area, this area, Colossae, the region, modern-day Turkey area, was influenced by false gods and teachers. So Paul was thankful for how they turned away from those gods and put their trust and faith in God and had evident love for one another, and they had hope for being reunited with Jesus one day. And what is the testimony of our faith? Do we have a living faith in Jesus? Or did we have an encounter, an experience with God, and it stayed in that moment? Did you have an encounter with God, and that moment that you had with him, that, that exchange, the great exchange, this wonderful moment that you know that you met God. But as you've walked and lived your life, all you can think of is that, you, that that moment was just a moment, that your relationship with God was just encapsulated to 15 minutes in that moment. And your walk with God now is just, there's no evidence that you've maintained faith, hope, or love. We must be growing with Jesus and have a continual relationship with him. <clears throat> you can't just wait for or just expect that that moment is going to carry you throughout your whole Christian walk. You can't expect to wait for those emotional moments that you have with God and just ride that wave to the next moment. Jesus is in the ups and in the downs. He's in the hard things that we probably don't think he's in, but he's also in those good things, those blessings, those good moments in our life. You can't just ride the highs and hope it's gonna coast and I, hey, I just barely made it to the next high moment in my life. You can't spend your walk in Christ on fumes. You need to be engaged in a relationship. And I don't say you to you, it's to me too. I can't do that. I've had moments in my walk where it's like, ooh, I made it. From this high moment, there was some stuff, but man, God, you just, you're faithful. You, you met me here. And it's like, what did my walk look like from this high to this high in my life? 
Did I praise Jesus in the, in the lull in my life? <clears throat> what is your testimony of your faith? This is where the danger of religion comes in and creeps in because sometimes we approach our relationship with God as a list of things that we must accomplish in order to say we have faith. I read my Bible, we're supposed to be, we should be, but it's a checklist item. I pray every day, but what's your heart's posture in that prayer? I come to church every day or every Sunday, but I'm looking at the football scores while I'm at church. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But we sometimes can look at a list of things and equate it to a relationship with Christ, and that's not the case. I'm a checklist to do list person and it's easy for me to enter into a relationship with God or continue or engage with God as like boom did this boom did this scheduled you I scheduled some time with God and God's like I don't want your schedule I want your heart our faith becomes routine and not genuine is what I'm saying I pray that we can confidently say that our faith is living and not dead. Paul recognized that this particular group of believers had evident love for other believers. I'm about to touch on the subject that all y'all need to hear, including me, all y'all, me too. Jesus summed up, if we remember, the commandments into two commands. What were the two commands that summed up all of them? What were the two? Love God. I heard love Jesus over here. What was the other one? Come on, say it loud. Love others. Yes. You can really sum up the Ten Commandments as loving God and loving others. Those are the two, like when you boil it down, that's how simple it can be. And if you read the story original, like, like what happens, like, well, you know, there's a, it's basically an attorney like trying to catch him, which one's the greatest of, of, of them all. It's like, I actually love God, love others. It's simple. They covered the first by having a living faith, loving God. And now Paul is acknowledging that they had love for one another. So they were being obedient to the second summarized commandment. If you claim to be a Christian, then you should have love for other Christians. If you don't love God's people, we need to re-examine our heart. Now, you may say or think that sounds legalistic, or like, but you don't know them. You don't know them like I do. Or this sounds exclusive, like, like why, do I gotta, why do we gotta do that? Or conditional, or harsh. 
And you may be asking, well, where does it say that I gotta do that and love Christians and love my brother and sister? Well, it says that in 1 John, chapter four, verses seven to 11. And it said, First John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. And it said, it says right here, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this... The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love. <clears throat> Not that we have loved, but God that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, hard word, for our sins, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. <clears throat> now, we may say that we do love God's people. Here we are, like I was saying, like we can easily just justify and kind of like find a loophole in like our justification for how we interpret scripture. Now, we may say that we do love God's people or most of his people, but it's easy to love those who we are familiar with. It's easy to like those who we like being around. It's easy to love the lovable. It's easy to love the easygoing person. But we must learn to love the unlovable we must learn to love the difficult person, the difficult Christian, the difficult person who comes to church that you see them, you're like, oh, hey, I'm gonna go over here and go get coffee at Beyond. And I'm gonna stay in line and stay trapped in this line so I don't have to talk. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm a little far away. I'm not talking about anything that I've done. <laughs> But God allows these unlovable people in our lives for a reason. Sometimes the people we don't want in our lives is because they act like mirrors in our lives. They reflect back things to us that we don't want to see in us. Sometimes we don't like these people in our lives because it shows areas that we don't want to acknowledge in our lives. I'll give you an example. I'm giving lots of examples today. Your children. Our children, you can see them and you're frustrated with them, but the reality is God's like, that is you. That is you. That is what everyone deals with, but no one can say anything. Your spouse. You love your spouse <laughs> but the things that you want to nag and nitpick at them is the reality is, is that is what you are that is how you treat them 
I see so much, it's easy, that we see the flaws in others. We see the reasons why we don't want to engage in a relationship with them. But if we flip that around, people may also see the things in you that makes us not want to be around you. Or me, I'll use that as an example. I'll make it easy for you guys. You guys may see things in me where you're like, I don't want to talk to him. And that's okay. I have Jesus. Our verse says that they had love for all the saints. We must love all the saints. That word all, it means all. (laughs) It means all. Now the Bible goes on to talk about their hope. Now the biblical definition of hope is an expectation that is based on the solid certainty of God's word. An expectation that is based on the solid certainty of God's word. That's a Pastor Derek exclusive for you. In other words, you can expect what he has promised. He will be faithful to bring, to pass his promise. And you can hope in that. There's an expectation you can put on God that he's going to come through on that promise. Whatever promises that you read in the word, he is going to see that through in your life. And so that's why we put our hope in him. We put our hope in Christ because he is sure. He is certain. There is many things that are uncertain. Right now, the economy, people are nervous. There's a recession. People can buy eggs. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. There's uncertainty. And we don't put our hope in the economy. We don't put our hope in the grocery store. We don't put our hope in eggs, toilet paper. (laughs) We put our hope in Christ because it's rooted in the word. And this Bible, this, the words that are in this, you can take it to the bank, it will never go bankrupt. <laughs> so there was testimony about their faith. Paul says, your faith and your love Paul is talking about their fruit and their relationship with God. They had an actual relationship with God that had evidence of fruit existing. This is a parable in the Bible about the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, 24 to 30. We're not going to go there. I'll sum it up for you guys. The parable is talking about heaven being like a field of wheat. A man sowed good seed, but the enemy came and sowed tares. I'll go into what that is in a little bit. But then the owner of the field took notice of it and had uh, to wait to address the issue that he saw. Because if you uprooted the tares, 
then you would also uproot the wheat with it. So when it came to the actual time to harvest, he separated them by burning the bundle of tares and putting the wheat in the barn. This is a picture of heaven. There are some among us that are wheats and some that are among us that are tares. I'm going to go into what that means. What's interesting about this story is that the tares, um, that the tares are, are the same as a Darnell weed. That's what, the, that's what the, it's really called. When they are growing, you can't tell the difference between a tear and the wheat. They look the same, right? Only until they're fully mature, the danger is pulling them out of the harvest or when you harvest them, that the seeds, the weeds will attach themselves to the, to the weed. So they, when the tares, seeds get in, these Darnell weeds, they attach themselves to the root system because it's living off of the wheat. So it will cause more damage to address it early on and tear it out because you're going to sacrifice the wheat just to get the tear. Right? So it's best to wait when everything is fully mature. This is the distinction Jesus is making when it's time to go to heaven. There are some who are bearing fruit and there are some who are not. There are some among us, maybe it's us here, and we look the part. We're going through the routine. So it looks like it. But the reality is, is that our lives are not bearing fruit. At the end of the day, when there's judgment, we're going to find out who were the wheat and who were the tares among us. And I don't say that it's, it's not a competition. It's not like, oh, who's that? It's check yourself. Examine yourself. Are you that tear? To me, when you read this parable, you could focus on the wheat. You praise God for the wheat, but really the focus is, are you the tear? Are you sitting here day in and day out, and you're like, I don't even know what, what I'm doing here. Like, I think I know, but I can't give an answer as to the hope that's within me. I can't defend this. I can't share. I don't even know what this is. And that's okay. You're in the right place. Because here is where you can make a change. But we have to examine ourselves. Are we bearing fruit? And that's not the responsibility of the pastor. That's not the responsibility of anyone else except you. What you put in is what you get out. What you reap is what you sow. So if you are, de- if you're examining yourself and you're like, I don't really like where I'm at right now in my walk. I don't like that I can't even tell the difference if I'm bearing fruit or not. You will be able to have an opportunity tonight to make that right, if that's you. 
Just as there are tares out there receiving the same sun and water as wheat, there are people across America, the American church, we'll say the world, sitting in churches receiving the same teaching, the same pastoral care, experiencing, seems like the same things we are. But there is no fruit in our lives. And if you're trying to think right now, you're like, I don't even know what, what fruit he's talking about. You can talk to one of us, that, one of the volunteers, staff, the pastors. We're here to minister to you and to help guide you and get you on that right path. But the only way that that's going to happen, it's, it begins with you. Being honest with yourself of where you are at. And I've had to have these moments in my life. I'm like, man, I am slipping. I need to get it together. There are some coming to church with a genuine, believing heart. There are also some that are coming that haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, but are here, and you're inquiring, and you're searching, and you're trying to figure it out, and they're just simply, they're things that are just preventing you to make that jump. And there's some that are just, they're coming, you're coming, but you just, you don't want to make the choice. You don't want to make the change. You don't want to take that step forward. And I just want to encourage you that that can change tonight. It's up to you. I'm excited about those who are coming here every week, desiring to grow and dig deeper, to dig deeper here. I'm excited for those who are new to the faith and are desiring to grow in their knowledge of, of Jesus. But there are some here and around the world that are living under the deception that just because you are here, then you are right in the eyes of God and you have been misled. I want to challenge you. Have you been justifying yourself religiously, a list of things, but there's no real evidence of faith Then you need to make a decision? Don't sit here week after week thinking that God is fine with you just because you're showing up. You're going to miss the day if you keep rolling it over to the next time, the next time, the next time. Church is not going nowhere. I'll go next week. God doesn't want your attendance. He wants you to respond to the invitation he gave through his son. That he loved you so much that he gave his only son to die for our sins. And rose on the third day and ascended to heaven is sitting at the right hand of God. That is the God you, that's the God who wants you to respond to right now. And that's really what Paul is, is really telling the Colossians. He's thankful for their faith, for the hope and the love that they have. And it seems simple. We can read that. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's thankful for all that. That's cool. I'll put it this way. I'm thankful for the hope and the love and the faith that you have. And you're coming here and you're being challenged and you want to grow and you want to do better. Thank you. That is what he's simply telling 
the Colossians. We'll wrap up our last couple of verses here. Verses, I'll reread five, and we'll go through eight, and we'll wrap up. You guys following me? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole word, the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard, you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So really, just if you want to put a point to these last verses, Paul was thankful for the gospel. Paul was thankful uh, for, there's three, re- three reasons why he was thankful. The gospel is the truth. The Bible is saying in verse 5 that the word of the truth, the gospel, read that again, the Bible is saying in verse 5, the word of the truth, the gospel, there's a definite article, the, means that the word, the gospel, is exclusively the truth of God. I'll say that again. The definite article, the, or an English, English class tonight, means that the word, the gospel, is exclusively the truth of God. You see the definitiveness of the word the. Meaning the Bible is the inspired word of God. There is no other book inspired by God. You don't have to look any further than the word of God. There's nothing you need to add. There's nothing you need to, that you need in addition to, yeah, you know, you can use a commentary. Yeah, you can use Bible study software to help understand. But the best way to understand the word of God is scripture interpreting scripture. The word interpreting itself. It speaks for itself. You don't need anything else. You don't need other testaments or other prophets that claim that they have additional things to add. This is the exclusive word of God. And even saying that this is the exclusive word of God is like, that's not possible. How is that possible? We're, here, we're reading it here. It means the word, the gospel, is exclusively the truth of God. There is one way to everlasting life, and that is through Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's only one shepherd, and he is the resurrection. This is exclusive. The truth is exclusive. Because if there was another way, then it wouldn't be the truth. If there was another way, then this would be a truth. And you hear sometimes believers or Christians or other, maybe not Christians, say, well, that's your truth. And this is my truth. The reality is, if it's truth, absolute truth, 
then it, there can only be one. And that's why it's called the truth, the word, the gospel. There is no other one. It, there's, it's not an A. If it was a gospel and a word or a book, it's the, the exclusive, the one, the only. And this is so uncomfortable for a church culture that is trying to be relevant or tolerant to the world because they want to be comfortable in church. Some people want to come to church and get the pep talk, the positive vibes, and go spread it out there. And that's not what, what Christ wants. He wants to confront you. He wants to, to, to touch the very thing that you don't think anyone knows, but he knows. And he's like, that's the part of your life I want. That dark place that you don't think I see or I know, that's the very thing I want. That very thing that you're struggling with, that is what I want. It is the word of the truth of the gospel, and we're living in a church culture that is becoming tolerant of deviant teachings. And we don't even realize we're doing it because why? We don't know what the word of God says, so we can just say, oh, well, so-and-so said that that's what it says, so I'm going to believe it. But we don't check it ourselves. Many times, Pastor Derek has said, check what the word of God says. Check me, fact check me. If I'm saying something wrong, say something. He's not saying things up here expecting to, to blindly mislead you. None of us desire to do that. We study and we read and we interpret and we apply the word of God and we, full of faith, come up and think what we're saying is, is true. But it's not my truth, it's God's truth. And so you should be reading the word, you should be checking the very things that we're saying, be like, well, technically this says this. Or you just walk away and just be like, well, the guy on the stage said that, so it must be true. They wouldn't allow him to get up there if, it wasn't, if he wasn't good at what he does. That's not, that's not the approach you should have and just come to church and be like, got it, walk away, take it at face value. You have a word, you have the word. We're not, we're, we, haven't, we don't have exclusive uh, rights to this, to this Bible and you don't have access to it, you have access to it. You can check it. You can study it. You can go ahead of us and start reading and studying. Some people would rather find a source where it will justify them or soft-pedal them and allow them to stay in their sin. This was what was happening in the Church of Colossae. False teaching and people modifying the truth of the Bible. And people were being swayed because they didn't know what the word says. But those who knew the word were like, no, 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 what, that's not right. That's not true. What you're saying is you're saying that there's a, that this is a gospel. No, this is the gospel. You're tripping. What are you doing? 
The second reason Paul is grateful for the gospel is because it spread globally. Now, this is earlier, early church time, so when we say globally, it's a different implication. It says in verse 6, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. The gospel had spread globally in the terms of what was happening here. The whole world, at least in the Roman Empire, was familiar with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Roman Empire was familiar with it. By 200 AD, 15% of the Roman Empire became believers. What does that mean? That is about 75 million people. By 200 AD, around 75 million people were believers. That is roughly 170 years from the, the crucifixion of Christ. This is about 440,000 conversions per year. And that is huge church growth. That is real church growth. It's an, when we talk about church growth, we're not talking about the size of this building, size of this, you know, people sitting in the chairs. Church growth is new believers becoming believers. That's church growth. So for me, I lived two years in Peron. So this is equivalent, like to put it in terms, this is equivalent to all of Peron being born again in one month. Or Las Vegas being born again in six and a half years. That sounds like, well, that's kind of long. I don't know, if, I don't know if that sounds, you know, that's not that impressive. Okay, bear with me. Six and a half years. <laughs> Six and a half years. Okay? How long have we been walking with Christ? You know, I don't know however long we've been walking, some couple months, some maybe 40, 50 years. And take six and a half years of your walk with God. And how has God used you to reach people? How many people in your life you, God has used you to bring to the kingdom? And in six and a half years, the early church grew. And if the early church was here in Las Vegas, in six and a half years, this whole city would be saved. That's a, what we would probably call revival. And we're praying for that. And we're grateful for the one and the two person that comes and gives their life to God. But what was so unique in this time and age that the growth was just rapid. This is rapid growth. This is you going into a grocery store and you hearing a conversation that you're not in and they're talking about God and people are just coming to Christ, left and right. Imagine that we lived in that day and age where anywhere we go, there's someone giving their life to God. That is the picture of what the early church looked like. And how did the gospel spread so fast? We live in the, the information age. That's what they call our time. Maybe, I don't know, there's maybe another time. I mean, there's probably another name for what we're at right now. But we live in the information age. Internet was in like most of our lives. 
Um, I remember dial up and it was like earth shattering. Now like we're like two seconds and this is slow. But the gospel spread so fast. There was no radio, there was no social media, there was no TV, there was no internet. How did the gospel spread so fast in this time? How? Every person in the church believed it was his or her responsibility to be the light for the Lord. There was no, well, that's his job. That's the pastor's job. That's the staff's job. That's the volunteer's job. That's their job. That's for the saint. That's not for me. That's for the upper. That's for the elite. No, there was this buy-in. It's like, I'm a believer in Christ, so that means I'm going to go share the gospel. That means I'm going to look for the lost. That means I'm going to be the one who shares and tries to pray for people and invite people to church, and I'm going to share the word. I'm not going to wait for the pastor to be available to share the word. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to understand it. I'm going to want to share it. I want to be a light for this world. And that is what we see in this church. That's what we see in the early church is that they took ownership of the Great Commission. They took ownership of what it meant to be a believer, a Christian. They were co-laborers in this. It wasn't, well, I just attend church. I just come to church. And that's my part as a believer. Do we really mean what it is when we say, I'm a believer, I believe in the gospel, I love Jesus? When we say those things, do we also mean that we're sold out for him and we can't wait to share the gospel with the next person who isn't a believer? You didn't have to tell them that they had to do it. They just did it. And that's how there was exponential church growth. The third reason Paul was grateful for the gospel is because of Epaphras. In verse 7 and 8 it says, As you also learned from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. How did this church get planted? Paul never visited this church. But this church was about 100 miles away from uh, Ephesus. Paul ministered in Ephesus for about three months and then taught a school for about two years in Ephesus. In Acts 19, it says that in those two years, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Two years in one area and that whole region heard of Christ. Historians believe that Epaphras was in that school for those two years, sitting under the teaching of Paul. He had a fire in his heart for the gospel. He sat, he went to this school, he got it, boom. He went to this community 100 miles away of where the class was, and he started doing the work of the gospel. He started doing what we call ministry. And Paul never went there. He, Epaphras, was an unknown man compared to Paul. But he took the Great Commission seriously. Which one of you here are going to be an Epaphras? 
who here, let me rephrase it, because that's probably too much of an expectation. Like, I mean, that's a lot. Who here desires to be like an Epaphras? Honestly, I'm, I'm, ask, I'm asking a question. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I desire to be an Epaphras. I desire to like, be like, you know what? I want to be on fire. I don't want to just wait for permission. I don't want to wait just like, okay, well, like, am I equipped? He didn't wait. He just, he, he sat under, under teaching. And you, what you can say that is, is you sitting here every Sunday, sitting under teaching. Whether you guys realize it or not, for such a while in my walk with God, the training and the discipleship that I was receiving, it wasn't one-on-one. It wasn't through a book. It wasn't through a program. It was literally sitting on Sundays, coming to church, opening up my Bible, and studying with the pastor. I was being discipled. And when I started serving, everything that I learned came to life. I didn't have to go to a school. I didn't have to go to this, sermon, this seminary. Praise God that God decided to call me to be a pastor, and, and man saw that, that calling in my life, and I got ordained. But it was not because I went to a school. It wasn't because I had formal education in this. It's because I took the word of God and I saw that in other pastors' lives and other men that I respect and other people that all they did was just, they just had faith and they just, they sewed in. They were locked in. They didn't wait to be told. They just did it. And that's what we see in Paul's life, what we see in Epaphras' life. And that can be your life. Who here has that burning desire in your heart? Do we really think that the church today is growing exponentially? Yes? No? Maybe in a handful of countries we hear of the secret or the underground church. We hear their testimony, all the way over here, and it costs them something. It costs them their life. And it's because they're being persecuted is why we believe that the church is growing. But on the West, in the Western culture, here, what sadly we call church growth is when people leave one church and go to another church. And that church is like, we're growing. Yeah, you are growing, and we're growing, but some of it is really, the reality is it's lateral growth. Yes, this church is getting bigger, this church is getting smaller, and then this church is getting bigger because people are just transferring, but when you look at the total number, the church didn't grow. People are just hopping because I don't like that program, or I didn't like the way the pastor said that, or I didn't like this. But instead, we aren't taking the responsibility of going out there and finding that person who needs Jesus. And instead, we're just looking at each other and expecting for the church to serve us. I would suggest that that we are not taking the Great Commission seriously. We're not taking what the implication that we have in the word of God, we're not taking it seriously, if we're being honest. 
If we can just be plainly honest, we're not taking it seriously. I will, I will be transparent with you and honest with you. I am serving God. I am doing what I'm called to do. Can I do more? Yes. Simply put, yes. I'm not going to justify. I'm like, well, you know, I got my wife and I got three kids and they're young and they're growing. And, you know, like I'm just, you know, I, I got a lot going on. I can, I can say all that all day. Well, you can say that all day. We can all say all these things. But it, must, it should cost us something. It should. It's costing the secret underground church something. And it's literally their lives. Can we say that our faith is costing us our life? Now, this may sound strong, and that was not my intent, but I'm including myself in that. It's not just you guys. I'm not trying to, you know, come at you, but me too. Me too. I too can be doing more for the kingdom. Are you willing to be used today or are we so comfortable in our seats and giving God a part of our life, justifying our position to God? Is our life bearing the testimony of our faith? If someone were to look at our life and say, and get a snapshot of our life and say, okay, what I see is a testimony of your faith. How big would that faith look like? I want to challenge us. There's been lots of challenges tonight, challenging myself. Let's not be satisfied with the condition of the American church. You are the American church. When I say American church, you can't be like, oh, yeah, this, this, this thing, this, this, this thing that's out there that, you know, we're part of that. You are part of the American church. Let's not be satisfied that the only other countries are growing. Other churches across the globe are growing. We should have the desire to want to see this church grow. And that's, I'm not talking about awake in Las Vegas. I'm talking about the church in Las Vegas. We want to see the church in Las Vegas grow. What is your part in it? Ask yourself, what is my part in this? Or rather, let's ask God to give us a burden for the gospel. Maybe you had it one day. Maybe it was 10 years ago. Or the first three years after you got saved. And after, you just, you, you did your part. And now you're cruising. Ask God to give you a burden for the gospel yet again. Ask for a burning desire to want to see the lost saved. Ask for God to give us the belief that he can do anything, even saving that person that you said, nah, they're a little too far away. That'd be like the earth will come to a halt if that person came to God. Believe that he can do it. Believe it. Now, we have an opportunity. I can't share all this and like just say, like, hey, like, oh, like, we have an opportunity. And this is what the opportunity is going to look like. An opportunity where you can exercise your faith. 
This Sunday is Vision Sunday. We have prayed for what is coming for 2023. And we have a lot that we've prayed for. We have a big vision for 2023. But the reality is that this vision will not come to pass if you do not engage in it. If we don't engage in it, if I don't engage in it, we cannot take a step forward and say that this is our home church and not ask ourselves and come Sunday and say, what's my piece, what's my role in growing our future together? So we're, I'm sharing this with you. You guys are getting a charge. I'm pushing you guys out the door. Not yet. Don't leave. I'm encouraging you to examine your heart from now till Sunday. This is your homework. Examine your heart. Do an inventory. Where do you stand right now in your walk with God? Are you bearing fruit? If there were to be a testimony that you were to give at this very moment of the faith in your life, the love that you have in your life, the hope that you have in your life, what would, that, what would people say of it? And you have an opportunity to be co-laborers with your home church to be a part of what's going to happen in 2023. I'm not going to share what that stuff is. you got to come in person, online. Come with us. Don't be online. If you aren't in Vegas, that's cool. Not a worries. But this is, a, um, this is an important moment for us to hear what God has in store for us and for us to ask ourselves, what's my part in this? How do I want to engage in this? How do I want to have a part in it? So come on Sunday, and that's like probably the application, if you would, of what we're talking about today. It's a charge for this group. So when you come on Sunday, you guys are going to be on fire, ready to go, and people are next to you are like, what is happening with these people? Why are they so excited? It's because you're ready and you are going to be committed and making a commitment on Sunday of what it is you're going to do. Okay? All right. Let's pray. I love you guys. You guys, thank you for bearing with me. It went a little long. But, you know... Praise God. All right. Lord, I just, um, I just thank you, God, and thank you, God, for your word and for challenging us and the conviction, Lord, that you give us and the, the, the way you just confront us with your word. And God, we welcome it. We don't want to be in a place where we shy away, where we run away from being, being poked and prodded by your by the Holy Spirit, by being transparent. God, we pray that you would strip away those things that prevent us from walking according to the word. God, I just pray that you would reveal to us, Lord, these areas in our lives that need to be surrendered to you. Show us, God, the areas in our lives, Lord, where we have just truly, honestly, just made room for routine with our relationship with you. That we haven't given our lives, Lord, to true transformation in our lives. And that we, God, are saying today is enough.
today is enough. We want God. We want more. We want more out of our walk with you. We want to give more. We want to sacrifice more. And so, Lord, I pray as you've challenged me, as you have challenged the saints in this room, Lord, that we would commit ourselves to going beyond where we are at right now. And as we keep our heads bowed, like I shared earlier, if maybe you're here and you are just far from what we've talked about, you are miles from it right now. As an unbeliever, maybe, maybe as a believer and you just lost that passion, that burden, and you probably are saying, I can't examine myself because there's just way too much. I want to encourage you, don't leave thinking you need to go get clean up your life, that you need to make changes before you come to the altar before you ask for help. That's a trap. That's the enemy trying to rob us of a moment in which God wants to rescue us. And so I would like to pray for you if you feel like you are just stuck and you need help. Raise your hand if that's you. Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Maybe there's someone here who just feels like they've lost their love for their first love. That they've prioritized many things. And if that's you, raise your hand. Amen. Praise God. Now if I'm going to I'm not going to call you to come forward and to come to the altar and to walk up here. I do want to invite if there's anyone who can, from the team that can come and be available for prayer up here on the front of the stage. But for those who have raised their hand, I want to challenge you to come forward and ask for prayer. Someone from our team will lead you in whatever it is specifically you need to be led in. Whether that is you are a new believer or you need prayer for um, finding your first love or maybe you there's a desert in your soul right now and you are just 
there's no water and you want to find, you need to reconnect yourself to the living water, whatever it is that's going on for you, as we talked about what was in the word and as we're talking about how to examine ourselves for what's coming on Sunday, this is the moment for you to take a step and to address whatever needs to be addressed. So let me pray for you, for those who have raised your hands and those who didn't raise your hand. I'll pray for you as well. Lord, I just, I thank you, God, for their boldness and their desire to want more from their walks and to desire that they desire to to say and make themselves available for you. To surrender their lives, to surrender their sin, to surrender, Lord, the, the errors, Lord, and to just submit themselves, Lord, to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would give them boldness to come forward, to ask for prayer, to be ministered to, and to be honest. And, Lord, for anyone who maybe who didn't raise their hand, Lord, that you would move them to come forward and to make a change, whatever it would be. So, God, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done. Thank you.